right, if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Joshua chapter 9, which is where we're going to get started. We're not going to read the whole thing because we're going to work through chapter 9 and chapter 10, but you can follow along with me and then there, there's, you know, definitely a few bits that we are going to read. Okay, so everyone got that? Ready? Great. So, I am someone who is not a particularly assertive person. Like, if, you know, something goes wrong for me, I just usually just cop it. Like, if, you know, if someone, you know, bumps into me, you know, when I'm walking along the street, I just go, oh, sorry, and then keep going. And then some, did you say if someone takes your sunglasses? Yeah, so I was on the bus today, and, uh, and these two down the front here stole my sunglasses. And I was like, can you give it back, please? And they're like, nah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so eventually they gave it back because, you know, they, I don't know, they decided it was the right thing to do. But I did nothing about it because I'm like, oh, they're just Ray-Bans, <laughs> whatever. And so I just let it go. So I'm not this person who sticks up for myself. Uh, but I am married to someone who definitely does stick up for herself and she definitely sticks up for other people. That's why she's becoming a lawyer, because she wants to just go and stick up for everyone, which is great. And now, one of the things also which is true about her and me is that culturally we have very different backgrounds. I am almost entirely white. So my, uh, on, on my grandparents' side, I've got like a Kiwi, an Australian, uh, someone from England, and then I have a Hungarian Jewish grandfather. And that is the really interesting bit of my heritage. I'm like, yeah, there's a little bit of interestingness in me. I mean, I love them all, but you know, that, you know, that little bit where I'm like, oh, look, Hungarian Jew, like, you know, goulash, great. So that's, that's kind of exciting. But Emily, my wife, she is like, she's, you know, completely different from me. So all her grandparents uh, were Lebanese. And then her mother uh, was um, Brazilian and her father is Argentinian, which means that there's a lot of cultural stuff going on there. And one particular thing that that means culturally is that food is very, very important to her particularly because of the Lebanese side of her family. And what that means is that hospitality happens through food. And the way you can tell if someone is having a good time is that if you're eating together, if they are eating a lot of food, then they're happy. And if they are um, enjoying the food, then life is going well. And so, you know, when I start, first started dating her, I went over to her place and her father would feed me. And I, and, you know, I'd eat some and I'd have to be you know, like eat the food. And then when my plate was clear, he'd be like, do you want some more? I'd be like, no. He was like, do you want some more? I was like, no. He was like, you want some more? I was like, I want some more. And then there'd be more there. Anyway, one day, Emily and I were out at a food court in Canberra. And uh, we were there and uh, we went to this place called the Snag Stand. And, uh, and normally, the, I wouldn't pay attention to this because another, uh, there's so much background information that's important for this story, but another important thing about me is that I'm a glutard, which means I can't eat gluten. Uh, so I just would ignore anything with like, you know, buns and bread and all that kind of stuff. But then we noticed on the snag stand that they have a gluten-free roll. And then I was looking at the, the menu and there was like all these different kinds of sausage meals there, snag meals, because it was a stand of snags at the snag stand. And I saw, you know, there was like the American, American hot dog. And I was like, oh, an American hot dog. I would love to eat an American hot dog. And I was like, I'm going to get an American hot dog. And I started dreaming about it. 
I started dreaming about what it was going to be like. I, I thought about the bun. I was like, well, it's gluten-free, so it's probably going to taste like my high school love life. That is, like, sad and disappointing. But, uh, but after that, you know, once you get past the bun, then everything else is going to be great. I'm like, you know, like the, 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 the snag bit is going to be excellent. Like Americans with their hot dogs, they don't have like Frankfurts like us. They have thick, juicy kind of, you know, sausages that when you bite into it, like crispy and then like meat flavor. It's great. And then there's going to be like the, the, the onions and the sauce and the cheese. It's going to be fantastic. I was dreaming about it. And so we ordered our food and we sat down and then the people went off. And then I went up to get it, and I, I picked it up, and I looked, and I looked at Emily's, and I was like, oh, that looks great. And I looked at mine, and I went, oh, what is that? I was like, it doesn't look like a hot dog. It looks like a squashed dog. It's so sad. I was like, there was the, the sad bun, obviously. And then there was, like, this really unpleasant-looking, you know, sausage on there and a little bit of like onion slapped on and the sauce had kind of fallen off the side and I, I just took it back sadly and I put it down and Emily looked at her and she started eating it and then she looked at mine and she was like is it okay I was like yeah it's fine <laughs> she's like is it okay I was like yeah yeah it's fine she's like it's not fine is it Tom I was like no it's not fine <laughs> but it's okay I'll just eat it and she's like you won't just eat it I'm gonna sort this out and I was like, no, 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 it's okay. And she's like, I'll sort it out. I'm going to sort that out. I will tell them. I was, I was like, no, no, it's like, because I'm like, I don't want my wife going to fight for me over a sausage. Like, that's a bit, that's a bit strange. Like, I, I, I don't want that to happen. And she was like, no, I'm going to go and solve this. I was like, really? And then I was thinking about, you know, what it would be like if it was fixed. I was like, okay, off you go. And then she went off. And I don't know what happened there. She you know, had words with them. She you know, pulled out the law, maybe. She wasn't a lawyer yet, but she probably knew something. She'd listened to podcasts. And you know, maybe she like, marched around it seven times and shouted and blew a trumpet. And then it was no longer the snag stand. It was the snag fell. But, uh, and then eventually she came back. And, and there was you know, my American hot dog. And it was like 40% better. I was like, wow. This is a great improvement on my day. And then I ate it, and, and it was, you know, it was all right. I haven't gone back there since. But, you know, but it feels great having someone who fights for you. You know, someone who's like, you know, if there's a problem, I'm going to fight for you. And, and i got a wife who does that for me, which is great. I love, I love being married to her and having someone who has a lot more, you know, you know guts than I do to stand up to fast food employees. And the thing that uh, we sometimes maybe think about in our relationship with God is like, do we have a God who will fight for us? Do we have a God who will love us enough to stand up for us? Who will be there when we need Him to be there? And that's a question that, that maybe we are asking. Because we know what we're like, and we're like, is God going to turn up when I need Him to? Well, we're going to see in this story, we're going to see what God is like when the Israelites and the Gibeonites, as we're going to meet soon, what they're like when they, well, what God's like when they need Him. So the story begins uh, after we heard about um, a little bit this morning about the, the um, Jericho, where the Israelites marched around Jericho and the walls fell down. And so after that um, fight, then they moved on. The Israelites kept moving through uh, the land of Canaan and they, you know, won more battles. They went to a place called Ai, uh, which is spelled AI because of artificial intelligence. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a town of Google robots. And then the, the Israelites slaughtered them all. That's not true. 
But they did take the town of Ai. And after they took the town of Ai, then all the other towns and their kings were starting to get nervous. They're like, here come the Israelites, and they're, they're winning all these battles. And so the Gibeonites, who were from Gibeon, uh, which makes sense, they were like, oh, what are we going to do? We, we, we should you know, deal with this. And so instead of going out to fight them, they thought, let's make a treaty with them. They're like, if they know that, you know, we're just down the road from where they are right now, they're not going to make a treaty with us. They were like, oh, we're glad you're here. We're going to go down and kill you. So they're like, oh, let's make a treaty. So we'll pretend we're from far away. So they got themselves some donkeys and some old saddlebags, and they got some bread, uh, which was moldy, and some, you know, some wineskins, which are a bit cracked, because that's what old wineskins look like. And they put them on, and then they started, you know, walked into town like, oh... Oh, and then they walked up like, oh, we're from far away. Or they probably put on some far away accent, like, we're from far away. That's like the, the least offensive accent I can think of, which probably still offensive to everyone. But, you know, they, they put on this accent and like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, oh, have you heard of a place called Penrith? And they're like, oh, oh Penrith, yeah, no, no, haven't heard of that. Like, we're from there. And then, you know, like, let's make a treaty. And the Israelites like, well, you know, how do we know that, you know, you're not our neighbors? Because they're a bit cluey, these Israelites. Like, oh, well, you know, look, look, at our, look at our bread. It's moldy. When we got it out of the oven, it was warm. And the Israelites are oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty hard to fake, isn't it? Yeah. And they're like, look at these wineskins. They're cracked. They're, you know, they were new when we left home. And they're like, oh, wow, they're two pieces of evidence. That's very hard to fake. And so they're like, oh, maybe we should make a treaty with these guys, which is strange. Like, why you would make a treaty with people from very far away doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, if someone from Perth came up to you and was like, let's make a deal, that you will never throw rubbish over my fence, and I'll never throw rubbish over your fence. You'd be like, sure, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a you, know, you know, it's a nice thing to do, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so the Israelites, they didn't put a lot of thought into it. They were like, oh, fine. They didn't pray. They didn't ask God. They didn't see what he had to say. They are like, yeah, let's just make this deal. And then they made this deal. And then they found out that the Gibeonites were not from Penrith. They were from just down the road. And so then the, the, the Israelites felt ripped off. They're like, what did you do to us? And so then, you know, the Gibeonites are like, well, sorry about that. We just didn't want to die. And so then the, the Israelites are like, all right, then fine. You know, we've made a treaty. We can't kill you. But how about you become our slaves? And the Gibeonites are like, yeah, good deal. And so that's, that's how it works out. Everyone's happy. <laughs> they're not dead. They're just slaves. Great. <laughs> and so that's the end of chapter 9. And so then we move on to chapter 10. And there's a bunch of uh, kings uh, who have seen the Israelites coming. And they're afraid of what's, what's coming their way. And they think that they're going to, maybe going to lose some battles. And so they're like, what should we do about this? And like, oh, we should go, attach, attach, we should go and attack the Gibeonites. Because they don't want to attack the Israelites because they're the powerful ones. And they're probably more angry at the Gibeonites anyway. Like if you've got a friend, in, like you've got your group of friends, and then you've got another group of friends that your group just doesn't like. Like you're like, oh, they use Android. Ugh, the worst. And then Billy's like, oh, iPhones. I love iPhones. They're like, yeah, we love iPhones. And then Billy's like, moves away and gets himself an Android and joins the Android group. Then who do you hate the worst? Billy. Billy the traitor. You hate Billy. And the Gibeonites were Billy the traitor. They're like, ah, oh, so they don't go and attack the Israelites. They just go and attack the Gibeonites. Like, get them for changing sides. And so they go and find them, and they start attacking them. And the Gibeonites send a message. And they're like, we're under attack. Come and save us. 
because, you know, they don't want to be killed. And this is the first time the treaty is being put, um, put to the test, which is pretty soon after it was made. And so what are, what's the, what are the Israelites going to do? Well, they've got to do it. So they all start traveling. Joshua gets his best men and they travel through the night uh, to attack uh, these people who have attacked the Gibeonites. And probably at this point, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but probably at this point, Joshua and his people might be feeling a bit stressed. Like, what's God going to do? Is God going to turn up? Because they've made this treaty without consulting God. They don't know how God feels about it. They don't know if God's going to be like, well, you've made the mess. You deal with the mess. Like, because he could do that. Like, that would make sense. That would be, you know, the just thing to happen. When I was a little kid, I really liked the idea of doing little athletics. I liked it because my friends did a little athletics and they had like the uniform and they had like badges that they wore and sometimes they won medals. And it seemed to me like the closest thing to the Olympics that I could get to as like a five-year-old. I loved the Olympics. I was like, I want a uniform and I want badges and I want a medal. I'm going to go and do a little athletics. So then I went to little athletics and I realized that little athletics was a lot less about the uniforms and the badges and the medals and a lot more about the athletics, which if I'd thought about the name, I would have given me a clue because there's athletics that you do. I just thought it meant that you did a little amount of athletics, <laughs> not that little people did athletics. So then I started doing it. I hated it. And I went to mom and dad. I was like, I want to stop doing little athletics. I'm like, well, no. Nah. You started it. you got to finish it. This is your problem, Tom. And so I had to do it for a whole nother year. I kept going every, every week to little athletics. I didn't want, win a single medal. I did win a trophy, though. It was a trophy for consistent effort. Yeah. You know what that means, though, doesn't don't you? It means I turned up every week and I had my pants on the right way, and that was it. So I got a, I got a trophy. woo And then I quit Little Athletics as soon as I could. And God could have done that to them. He was like, this is your problem. You deal with it. I'm not, I'm not here to save you. This is your thing. And they could have gone in and had a fight and maybe got slaughtered, maybe not. But when we look at the passage, we see what happens. We see that God turns up. Uh, God uh, makes this promise uh, in uh, chapter 10 to Joshua in verse 8. He says, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And not one of them is able to withstand them. He tells us that God sends, uh, sends the Amorites, the people who have attacked, sends them into a confusion. And so the Israelites are able to, to win their battle. And then it says that after this uh, part of the battle, they start pursuing them. And as they, the, the Amorites are running away, God sends hailstones. And the hailstones kill more of the Amorites than the Israelites are able to kill with their swords. God turns up in a big way. Now, at this point in the story, maybe some of you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it. And if you've read the book of Joshua, or if you've been paying attention to what we've been talking about, you might know that in the book of Joshua, the story goes that these people, God's people, turn up to this land, and they come into the land, and then they, they start having all these battles and killing a lot of people and taking a lot of land for themselves. And from where we are, we're like, that seems like pretty bad behavior. 
Like, you don't just turn up to someone else's land and start killing them and taking their land. Like, that's not a good way to behave. Like, you might feel uncomfortable about this story. And the truth is that I feel a bit uncomfortable about this story. And the way that, uh, the way that we understand it, if we need to understand it, and I, I can't spend, you know, go into too much detail, but we understand it partly by the wider context, that these guys are not just like, uh, you know, just random people that were in the way of the Israelites. These guys have been spoken about in the Bible a long time beforehand. On the first night, Sam talked to us about Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis uh, chapter 15, uh, which you can turn to if you want to, but don't worry about it because I'm going to turn to it, uh, God makes a promise to Abram, uh, who becomes Abraham. And he talks about how uh, he's going to have all these descendants and then he talks about how his descendants, in the fourth generation, it says, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And what God is saying there is that these people are people with very significant sin that has to be dealt with. That God is going to judge these people for the things that they've been doing. And these people, they worship other gods. And, uh, and, and so God is judging them. Now, now, this is not to say that if you know, other people are worshipping other gods that we should just go in and kill them. That's not what this is saying. Uh, but, but the worship of the other gods means that one of the things they do is they go out and they you know, have a lot of sex and drink a lot, which is also not a reason to kill anyone. Uh, but it also they worship one particular god called Molech. And Molech... Uh, is a God who demands the sacrifice of children. And so here were people, because of the worship of their God, they were killing their own kids. And for about 400 years, God was waiting for them to turn from this sin and to discover Him. And they hadn't done it. For 400 years, He was patient with them. And now, God's people come through and they are one, they're you know, taking the land that God has given them, but two, they are enacting God's judgment. And still you might feel uncomfortable with this, and I feel uncomfortable with this, but God isn't around to make us feel comfortable. And God isn't here just to you know, make everything easy on us. He does what He wants because He's God. So I'm not going to apologize for Him, but as far as I can tell, this is, this is something that we need to understand. That at this point in time, the sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure, and here they are taking the land. And then when they come through and they start uh, winning this battle, it tells us uh, that uh, Joshua soon prays this amazing prayer. So if you have a look in uh, chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, On that day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, and Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Deshar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. What an audacious prayer for Joshua to pray. Like they were in the middle of, of the battle and Joshua prays, that the sun and the moon might stand still in the sky. That is an audacious prayer to pray. Like sometimes I say prayers which feel pretty audacious. Like I'm like, God, please give me a parking spot. That feels like a big prayer to pray. Or I'm like, God, please 
may the Justice League movie not be terrible. That feels like a big prayer to pray. Or I'm like, God, please give me great abs. That feels like a big prayer to pray. And sometimes God hears your prayers, and sometimes He's like, yeah, sure. Sometimes He's like, yeah, nah, not doing that. And you know, God doesn't answer all your prayers, but at least I've got great abs. So thanks, Jesus. But what, what uh, Joshua does here, which is amazing, is he doesn't pray these little prayers that seem big. He prays a big prayer. And he could pray this prayer, and God could, you know, respond very differently. Like, God could be like, Joshua, you, do you know what you are asking? Like, you don't really understand science that much yet. But let me tell you a few things, Joshua. You know what? You are not on this flat globe how do you have flat globe? You're not on this flat land. You're on this, you know, spinning ball. This ball that's spinning through space. And it's traveling at 107,000 kilometers per hour around another flaming ball. That's the sun. It doesn't travel across the sky. You travel around its orbit. And at the same time that you're spinning around this burning sun... The, the earth that you're on is also spinning at about 1,600 kilometers per hour. So you've got spinning and spinning. And what you're asking, Joshua, is I would just pause all that, that I just stop everything in the sky like that. And God's like, yeah, sure. He does. He pauses it. He pauses time. And then they can go on winning their battle. This is a crazy prayer to pray. How could he pray this prayer? But he does. But then look at what the passage says here. It says, there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now, that seems like a strange thing to say. Like, you might think of it like, there's never been a day before, it, since, before or since, a day when God paused time. But that's not what it says, a day when God listened, a day when God listened to a human being. Like, that seems strange. Like, God listens to human beings all the time. But then if you look back at the story, you look at the way that he prays. He doesn't say, God, please stop the sun and the moon. He talks to the sun and the moon directly and commands them. He starts praying, and while he's praying, he just, you know, takes it upon his own authority to command the, the, the you know, the whole universe to stop its thing. And, and God lets him do it. It'd be like if I turned up at your house and just imagine maybe you've got like a Google Home device. I don't know if you do, but let's imagine. There's a few imaginings we're going to do in this illustration. And I turn up at your house, and I'm like, okay, Google. And Google's like, hello. I don't know how Google sounds. I don't have one. And then I'm like, hey, order me a Lamborghini. And Google's like, sure thing. And then Google goes and orders a Lamborghini. And then your credit card company rings up. And it's like, excuse me, um, we just have an order for a Lamborghini. Uh, do you want that to go through? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. He let it go. Like, that's what God does here. Because Joshua's like, sun, moon, stop. And God's like, fine, let it go. And they just stop in the sky. This is what God does. Surely God was fighting for Israel on that day. Surely he was. Like, it's an amazing thing to happen. And so the question that we might be asking is, will God do that for us? Can we be sure that God will fight for us? Can we be sure that God will turn up for us. You know, I reckon some of us are feeling maybe like the Gibeonites were feeling, that we feel towards God the way the Gibeonites feel towards the Israelites. That we think if God knows us exactly as we are, He's never going to accept us. 
He's never going to turn up for us. He's never going to fight for us. We think that's how God's going to behave. And so we think, oh, maybe if I trick God, he won't notice the other things. Maybe if I turn up to church every week, he won't realize what I've done the rest of the week. Maybe if I go to youth group a lot, if I read my Bible and I pray, he won't know the other stuff that's going on in my life. But he knows. He's not dumb. You know, I hate going to the dentist. The dentist is like the worst. You go to the dentist and you lie in the chair and the dentist looks in your mouth and then the dentist kind of like you know, has a look and pokes around a bit and then they're like, oh. And then they pull out their little like metal spiky prong thing and then they start stabbing you in the gums. Like, eh. They're like seeing how bad your gums actually are. And then they're like, oh, well, it's bleeding a lot. And they're like, well, you stabbed me in the mouth multiple times. Of course I'm bleeding. And like, you know what? You've got to floss more. I'm like, you've got to floss more. And then you go away and you make your appointment for six months and, and you floss like for two days. And then you forget about it. And then your alarm goes off like, and saying, oh, the dentist is in a week. And you're like, oh, gosh, better start flossing. And then you floss for a week. So then when you turn up to the dentist, it's like, have you been flossing? And you're like, yep, every day, which is true, because every day for the past week you have been flossing. You're a new person. You floss all the time now. And you've been flossing, and then, and then the dentist looks in your mouth, and you think you've tricked them, but you haven't. Because a dentist knows when you're lying. A dentist knows everything. Dentists can be like, you haven't been flossing and you haven't returned your library books. You know, they use dentists to do interrogations because the dentist can tell when you're lying. Well, that's what God is like. He's like a dentist in some ways. He knows when you're lying. You can't trick God. You know, like, look, I turned up to church like four weeks in a row. So I guess you didn't see what I was looking at on my computer, did you? Because I was at church. Like, you, you are, you're, you're sorted, you're fine. But God can see through you. He knows exactly what you're like. You can't trick Him. And others of us, we know you can't trick God, but we're like, maybe, just maybe God will just turn up for me anyway. We're more like the Israelites. We're like, we're just going to set out and hope God turns up. We're like, we know God can tell what we're like. We know what God knows our hearts. We know that God knows how we've treated our parents. We know that God knows what we've been doing at school. We know that God knows what we're like. We know God knows that we've ignored Him, that we haven't been the person that He wanted us to be. We haven't been the person that we wanted us to be. He knows all of these things. And we're like, maybe, just maybe, even in all of this, maybe God will turn up. I just hope He does. But the truth of the Bible is that, one, we don't have to try and trick God, and two, God knows exactly what we like, but we can be sure that He will turn up. We can be sure that He will fight for us because we've seen it in the Bible. We've seen it in the story of Jesus, that God has turned up. God has fought for us. That God came to us in His Son, Jesus, and God lived with us on earth. And when God was here in His Son, Jesus Christ, the way that He lived and the way that He taught showed us what life should be like, but He also told us what life is going to be like. He told us that there is going to be a time when our sin would reach its full measure and God's judgment would come on the earth and we would all pay for the things that we have done. 
That God will see us clearly. He will know exactly who we are and we will pay the price for the things that we have done. That's the promise that Jesus makes in the Bible. But he doesn't leave it there. The story also goes that he went to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus gave his life for you and for me. That the cross, the punishment, the judgment for sin did not fall on us, but it fell on him. Sin reached its full measure and judgment reached its full measure and it was all in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, the Son of God is judged by God himself so that we do not have to take that judgment. So that we can be sure that God fought for us and he fought for us on that day on a cross outside Jerusalem. And the sun did not stand still in the sky, but it went dark. The earth did not stop spinning, but it shook. And when God died, graves broke open because of the magnitude of what was happening. But it was not the end of the story. The death of God was not the end of everything. The death of God was the death of death and the beginning of life for you and me. And we know that three days later, Jesus Christ came back to life so that we would know that if we put our trust in Him, we can have a life like that. And life that will go on forever after we die and then he raises up to us up to life. But life that forever that starts as soon as we put our trust in Jesus. And as soon as we do that, new life starts changing us. It starts making us into the people that God wants us to be. So we don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to pretend that we're better than we are. Like God knows us perfectly. He knows you better than you know yourself and He loved you anyway in His Son, Jesus. And He continues to love you in His Son, Jesus, and through His Holy Spirit. He loves you, and He wants you in His family. You don't go to death and back for someone you, you just so-so on. And you don't have to be wondering, is God going to turn up for me? He's already turned up for you. And He'll do it again and again and again. Because we've seen it in Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do now, is I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. If you want to say tonight, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be sure that God's going to turn up for me, that God has turned up for me. I want to stop pretending that I'm better than I am. I want to stop trying to trick God into thinking that I'm worthy of Him. I just want to say, God, you know me. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let me be in your family. And he will, because of what Jesus did on the cross. So the way we're going to do this goes like this. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you about 10 seconds just to close your eyes and to ask God, saying, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to commit to you tonight? And then, after that, I'm going to give you the chance to respond. I'm going to ask you, and this is going to take courage, and we've been talking about courage this week. I'm going to ask you to have the courage to just stand where you are. And you don't have to do it straight away. I'm going to tell you when it's time. You're going to give a bit of time just between you and God, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. And you're standing courageously to say, yes, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept what he has done for me. And then once you've done that, we're going to take it from there. Can we do that? Great. Let's take a few seconds now to ask God, what do you want me to do 
Are you calling me to give my life to you tonight? Let's close our eyes and ask him that question. All right. Now, if you want to courageously say, yes, I'm going to commit myself to Jesus, to follow him, maybe for the first time as a Christian, or maybe you're recommitting as a Christian, then now I want you to stand.